0: I'll hide till it's bright out. Oh, just another lonely night. Are you willing to sacrifice your life?
2: They're staying in the
0: shadows called probing make sure things are clean first for water. for the rest of the night. you guys hear
1: that
0: Okay, I'll reload it. This is G.M. Danielson of the Simply Scary Podcast, and you are listening to The Confessionals.
1: Okay, tonight I have a special guest on, Jason, and he has had a Bigfoot experience when he was uh, younger, and he also wants to share some experiences that he had in a farmhouse that kind of led into... Uh, his experience with sasquatch he also runs a group called uh, sequoia sasquatch society jason how are you man
2: i'm doing great tony thanks how are you
1: i'm doing good man i'm really i 'm really excited to hear what you have to say tonight and stuff uh, We communicated through Facebook here and there. And uh, this actually, this interview has been a long time coming because I remember a couple of times I emailed you just saying, I haven't forgot about you. I'm just working through all the emails and I just letting you know, you know, this is still going to happen. And I'm really glad we're getting it done tonight.
2: Yeah, me too. I've been looking forward to it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So why don't you just walk us into with the farmhouse situation and just, you know, take us from there to your Bigfoot encounter.
2: Okay. Yeah, I, uh. I was born in 1969, and and I was adopted uh, as an infant by my parents. And uh, I have an older brother and older sister. They were adopted too. And when I uh, came to live with their family at the ripe old age of four weeks old, uh, they were uh, they occupied a, a dairy farm, a small dairy farm in a little upstate uh, New York town called Chamo. That's C H uh, A U M O N T Chamo. Uh, but, uh, it was a small dairy, didn't have a lot of cows or, you know, and it was actually my grandparents' farm before that. And I don't know how long they had it, but from the fifties anyways, but, uh, that was my mother's family, my mother's parents. And, uh, you know, as a, as a little boy in this old farmhouse, this house was built in the late to mid to late 1880s. Uh, I've seen pictures of it from, you know, when it was a thriving, huge place, it had a crow's nest at the top and, you know, it was a very old house, multiple rooms and a big winding staircase. And it's very, very old, very decorative, you know, crown molding, 14 foot high ceilings. It was a big, big deal. And as a little boy, it was a mansion to me, you know, but, uh, I can remember that there was, a, there was a stone silo on the property and I'm not sure if the silo was still there or not, but. Um, a man had fallen off that silo when it was built back in the twenties or thirties and had died on the property. And there had been a couple of other strange things on, on that farm, on that, uh, farm property that had happened over the years. But as a little boy, when I was about three years old, I used to be visited by a world war one soldier. He was dressed in his formal army uniform. If you know what I mean by formals, they were green. And I can remember him peeking in on me ever so often in my bedroom. And I would see him and I would get up and walk to the bedroom door to look down the, you know, where I thought he'd walked and there would be nobody there. And at night he would come in and he would sit on my bed and pat my leg and tell me, it's okay. It's going to be okay. You know, and I could feel him patting my leg. and, And it wasn't scary. It was the first time I saw him, but he wasn't a scary thing, you know. But I knew seeing that, and then I had another experience with something else that, you know, I'm, I wanted to throw this out to you because I'm hoping somebody that hears this or sees this might have experienced something like this because I have yet to see or or hear anybody that's, that's ever experienced what I experienced at this house. But I had this one experience one night where the house, the siding on the outside of the house was this old asbestos shingles. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but. They used to lock together and they were on the side of the house Yeah, uh, and they were usually a gray or a green colored blue, you know, light blue. And I could hear something crawling up the side of the house and the window was just maybe, I don't know, eight, nine feet away from my bed. And I could hear the scraping and I saw this spindly hand come over the windowsill. The window was open. It was uh, summertime and we didn't have AC. You don't need it in northern New York. But I saw this hand come through the window and it had long, long fingers. I mean, you know, the fingers were really long and spindly. And then I saw the other hand come over, the right hand come over, and then it lifted itself up. And it was dressed similar to the soldier, but its face, I thought it had a gas mask on, like from World War I, but it was more like dark, round, dark eyes, sunken, deep, dark black eyes smooth face. It almost looked like I'm um, across between uh silver surfer and Jason uh Voorhees mask from that's what his face kind of looked like without the m- mouth holes, okay. just sleek and scary. And I could, I can feel my heart racing, talking about it. And I can remember seeing this thing when it steps over the sill and lands on lands on my floor, I'm looking at it and then it starts to pixelate and it starts to, Flicker like an old movie, uh, you know, like the picture starts to pixelate, and it, and then it would change, and it changed into a clown, and then it would pixelate again, and it changed into Fred Flintstone, like the cartoon Fred Flintstone, and then it pixelate again and turn into Mickey Mouse, and then it pixelate again and turn, it was turning into all these different things, but the eye stayed black, and and I've shared this, uh, I shared this in another interview uh, that I did with somebody that. Every time it changed, the eyes stayed black. And let me tell you, Fred Flintstone with black eyes, solid black eyes is a creepy, creepy thing. And I can remember seeing this as a kid. And when I saw it and saw what it was it was doing, I almost felt like hypnotized by what it was doing, by the, the pixelating. And but I, I see the eyes, and the eyes would kind of correct me back to my senses. And I would, and I yelled at it, I still see you. I still see you. And it went away. I I never had it happen again. I don't. But it was one of the creepiest things because it didn't have anything to do with. I could wrap my mind around as a three or four year old kid. I could wrap my mind around the the soldier. I I knew what he was. It was a ghost. I knew this. And I used to talk to my parents about the man that would visit me and whatever. He's, you know, I'm a kid. What's he know? You know, he's talking. He has imagined because I used to talk to myself. I still do, but I used to talk to myself <laughs> as a kid and play. You know, but uh, but that thing there terrified me. It terrified me, and I learned at that point that the world is not all we see. It is not all we think it is. There are many, many layers. Some good, some bad. But this thing here was, like I said, the the the, the main visual memory i have is those fred flintstone eyes dude they just it makes me just oh it makes my stomach just oh yeah. think because it was so terrifying because there were things i liked you know i liked mickey mouse i liked clowns i liked you know and it was like i don't know what it was doing but i felt like it was trying to draw me in or trying to i don't know man it was just so weird but like right. i said that that happened when i was four and we ended up uh, my dad's health got bad and, uh, we ended up selling the farm and we moved from Shamo to a little town, uh, a ways away, well, a little way, about 30 minutes away. Called, let me, go let ahead. me,
1: let me ask you about that before we, we move on from the house. Oh yeah. Uh, first of all, back to the world war two, um, or world war, whatever, you know, whatever the, the soldier the world was, war one. Yeah, world, war, world I. war one. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, how do you, first of all, how do you know that? Did it say something to you about it or, or do you just tell about the I, attire?
2: I just knew, first of all, I've, since I was a little kid, I've always loved war movies. Okay. Loved all the old, you know, uh, All's Quiet on the Western Front and, you know, Kelly's Heroes. And I loved all, and I still do. I love war movies. Okay. Uh, I always have. And, but I knew my uniforms because my grandfather was a veteran and my uncles were veterans. And, you know, I knew you know, I had a pretty good grasp of stuff like that, historic stuff. But I know now. I mean, obviously, as a grown-up, I knew by the way his collar buttoned up. I could see the way his. I don't know if he was an uh, arm, if he was in the army or he was in the marines because I couldn't, I can't see the looking back and I can't see the buttons. I wish I'd like to do some kind of regressive hypnosis, maybe where I could see clearly, you know, what the buttons were. But I knew, I knew he was a he. He had the you know how they used to tuck their pants and their boots and they had the little flares. He had those on his pants. I could see those when he was sitting down on my bed, patting my, and he was never, it was always like he was looking out for me. You know, it was never that experience with that thing. And the experience I had with the, whatever that crawled in through the window, they were two totally different entities. I know this, but like I said, I, I don't know why that, but that creature was dressed similar as far as when I first saw it, it looked like he was wearing a uniform, you know, dressed the same way. I had no neck, you know, it was buttoned all the way up, just the face and that silvery, like I said, shiny, smooth face. But that I'll never forget, you know. I remember every change, you know, I remember every pixelation what it changed to. It's just crazy. Crazy yeah. stuff. But, you know, um, what do you do?
1: So the the soldier. Was the soldier, uh, transparent or was the, the soldier, you know, more of a solidified image?
2: Both. And when I'd see it in the daytime, like I can remember, like I said, it would peek in on my bedroom, you know, I can remember being a little kid and playing with either my matchbox cars or my Lincoln logs or, you know, blocks or something, but I'm playing with something little on the floor. And do you remember those – they don't make them anymore because too many kids and too many parents got their fingers pinched in them. But do you remember those springy accordion gates that they used to put across doorways and stairs? And they had a specific type of childproof lock on it where you had to pull up. And Well, I had that across my bedroom because I, we were on the second floor and or across my bedroom door. And I remember playing with the toys on the floor and looking over and seeing boots. And following up a pant leg and following up and seeing waistline. And then as soon as I'd get to the face, it leaned back like it was just peeking in. Oh, okay. He's okay. And like I said, I stood up and went to the door and looked to my left because the walkway where the stair railing was, uh, with, you know, it was like a little walkway and there's a, there's an attic there. Well, we found, uh, old combat boots in the attic when we moved. Uh, but that's kind of strange. Yeah. That we found combat boots up there. My brother did. He brought them. He used them as his barn boots for years. But they were a pair of old combat boots. Wow. But uh, and you know, another thing about that house is my aunt Felicia. That was my grandfather's sister. She died in that house. I remember that too clearly. I remember that something's wrong. We need to go outside. And then the ambulance. The old. Look like the Ghostbusters cars, that kind of ambulance, pulling into the driveway and them taking Aunt Felicia out. She's an old, old lady, you know, uh, but taking Aunt Felicia out of, uh, of the house and putting her in an ambulance. Well, she I know she died in our house. Well, fast forward, the house went vacant after we sold it to the people that bought it. They had it for two three years and they lost it due to taxes or something. And it laid vacant for 20 years or more, quite a long time. A couple of the horse, the horse barn caved in, uh, you know, the dairy barn itself is gone now, but the house was there. Well, this couple bought it and they remodeled it. Well, I became friends with them. I stopped by one day cause I used to drive by the house when I'd go up to visit. And cause I, it was one of my favorite places to live. And, uh, um, I saw they were remodeling. So I pulled in there and said, Hey, I used to live here as a little kid. And they're like, you want to come in? So they showed me, you know what they, the drywall they'd put in and all that stuff. And then, um, they, we exchanged some pictures I had some aerial photos of the whole farm that my parents had had done, you know, that, that was a big thing is the aerial farm, you know, photo, you right. know, and, uh, and well, fast forward to face FaceTime or Facebook years. I be, I reconnected with Tanya and we, so she's the girl that owns the house. Well, they actually just sold it just a few months ago. They've moved, but another, uh, family has it now, but I asked her, I said, "Do you ever have any weird things happening in the house? And she's like, oh, wow. She says, we used to hear old timey country music and parties and glasses clinking and and uh, dancing and all sorts of stuff and they said especially when they were remodeling the house change, they did, they kept it pretty much the floor plan, plan the way it was but they you know they put in drop ceilings and sheetrock and that kind of thing and uh but she said that once they had the, all the remodeling done they had uh, their she's catholic they had the priest come in and bless the house and she says we never had anything else happen but that was a uh, like I said it was my favorite place because I had a friend there, you know, I had, I had that old man, old guy that lived in the attic, you know, that soldier guy. But, but yeah, we, uh, the house is beautiful now. I mean, it is, uh, it's a, I mean, it's a postcard perfect house now. It's beautiful.
1: Awesome. But yeah. So, okay. I, I, I was curious about the, the soldier and his, you know, what, how he looked, but now this, before we move on, I have to ask you about this, this thing that crawled up into the, Yes. Your room. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, the, like, all right. So I have a couple thoughts here and hopefully they make sense. Um, I guess I'll start with the most basic thing I thought of when I heard you say this. And that is how big was this thing? Was it like abnormally big or was it more just human size? And was it like looking like a, would it look like it had a humanoid shape or was it something totally different?
2: Great question. When I, when it came over the windowsill, when I saw the fingers, I was terrified. Okay. I mean like frozen, terrified when you're a kid, you know, sure that kind of thing, which, you know, I have a lot more experience with that kind of frozen thing later on. You know, uh, like I said, when something happened to me later on as a kid, but uh, I'd say again, I'm three, four years old it was probably the height of an average adult male but it's armed it's I don't know it's anatomy was different arms were weird abnormally long fingers like I said but it didn't stay that for very long like I said as soon as I I don't as soon as it come over the windowsill I know I must have gasped because it, because like I said I can remember going <gasps> you know And then not being able to, you know, breathe. And then it started changing. And finally, you know, like I said, I finally got the nerve to say, I still see you because the eyes, I mean, the eyes were just, like I said, hypnotic, buddy. I mean, like, just draw you right in. And the eyes would stay constant. No matter what shape it made, the eyes stayed that black, hollowed, I mean, you know, I mean, just... I mean, that Fred Flintstone thing really, you know, and I can remember later on, you know, going to school and, you know, being, you know, four or five, six years old coloring books and seeing a kid in, the, in you know, first grade or whatever coloring the eyes of uh, Fred Flintstone in with a black coloring book uh, or with a black crayon and me looking at that and immediately it took me right back. To when I was a little boy, you know, or younger, you know, just a couple of years before, but it was always there. And like I said, I still have a, I think, <laughs> I think that Flint, Fred Flintstone movie that they made, you know, with, uh, Stephen Baldwin and, uh, I don't know the other yeah. guy, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Just, I cannot, that's, I can't watch that movie. I just can't, it's almost too, just too weird, man. It's just Fred, the Flintstones. I used to love the Flintstones. Well, not so much that, you know, I, I, I grew away from, obviously we grow up and we get away from cartoons, but Fred Flintstone was a creepy thing, man. That is just, I don't mean to keep coming back to it, but it was, it was, and then see him go into Mickey mouse. And, you know, I mean, and I can remember yelling out and my mother coming to my room, what's wrong. Uh, I saw a monster, you know, or whatever. And she's like, you just had a bad dream, you know? And I'm like, I, you you just, you just had a bad dream now go back to sleep and I'm like as a kid but I haven't slept a wink I'm not, I'm not sleeping you know and that kind of thing is something that I learned later on like I said that became a kind of a trigger for me to shut my mouth you didn't see that you know it became a, like the Obi-Wan Kenobi thing you know you didn't see that I didn't see that you know I knew I did but I'm just going to say I didn't and you know, move on. You know, I, like I said, I used to stuff a lot of it and, you know, it ultimately it, it ended up biting me in the tail down the road, but from stuffing it, but, uh, yeah. you know, it is what it is.
1: So let me ask you, um, you, you saw this thing come through the window. It was the size of an adult and it starts transforming into these kid friendly images that you recognized. And I believe you said when it actually came in through the window, it resembled uh, the, the the soldier that was visiting you before, right? Right. Now, right. there's two ways to look, up, look at that, and I'm sure you probably explored this, but I'm just going to say it for the show's sake. Uh, one, somebody could say it's an entity separate from what you were seeing that was trying to imitate what you were seeing to maybe get you to feel comfortable because of the fact that then it starts transforming into images that yes. you knew it knew it was, you were familiar with uh, yes. and try to make you comfortable with it for whatever reason. Uh, and then there's the other line of thought that somebody could say, could it have been the same entity, uh, but revealing a different side of itself to you? What's, what would you say to that?
2: Oh, um, I think it was two different entities and I'll tell you why looking back on it in retrospect again, you know, this is 44 years, 44 years, a long time, but, uh, the energy I got off the soldier guy was not scary. I got, I sensed nothing scary about it. It was like, Oh, Hey, there he is. Hey, you know, and he would, like I said, he would tap me on the leg and say, you're okay. You know, that kind of thing. And I never We didn't talk, you know, I, whatever I, you know, I can't remember if he would come around when I was sick or, you know, that kind of thing, because, you know, when I was sick as a little boy, I'd get earaches and things like that. And I would offset my sleep patterns and all sorts of stuff. So I don't really know all of the details about, you know, what it was that, you know, I wish I did, but I, the, the energy I got off of that soldier and I saw him, like I said, two, three, four times. And the energy I got off that thing were two totally different. As soon as I saw those fingers, I mean, and I've seen something similar in movies since. I can't remember what movie it was. It was one of those off, you know, Hellraiser movies or something, you know, one of right. those really creepy, you know, creepy movies. I've seen a, something that similar, but it was a little bit, the arms were a little bit more elongated and it wasn't wearing clothes, what I saw in the movie. But this thing was, it was wearing what resembled clothes. Like I said, it, those, they would fade with, when it went from being what I saw, the scary thing to the clown, you know, it's wearing a clown suit, you know, and then it would go to the, the Fred Flintstone, orange suit, black polka dot thing or black, you know, leopard print or whatever it was he had to the Mickey mouse. But it would like, this would all happen. It wasn't like real quick, you know, I'm talking about changing from, you know, and maybe, I mean, obviously I can't, I have no sense of time, but it was like slow enough to where I could see it evolving to, but the eyes would stay the same. The eyes the eyes never lost focus on me. I'm looking at it, and it's looking at me, and no blinking, no... I mean, I know I was blinking, but it wasn't. There was no eyelids. There was, you know, none of that. And to see it go from the clown to the Fred Flintstone to the Mickey Mouse, it, I mean, I haven't seen anything similar to what I saw until recently in the digital age with, like, when your satellite dish would you know, loose signal and the screen would pixelate on some, you know, some flat screen televisions that, that was this, but it was more like, yeah, if you can understand what I mean by that, like, you know, like the old movie projector frame by frame, you know, that sound, that's what I was envisioning as it was, you know, it was like, like a picture book. Like you remember when you could get these picture books and you, or cartoon books and you flip through them animated and at the bottom of the, of the pages, the little character would run, you know, chase a ball, jump a fence or whatever. Right. And but you know the the page is flipping. That's what it was doing. It was flipping. You know, I say pixelating, but it was like moving so fast like it was a, you know, a high speed, like I said, like a book, like a movie. You know, and and I didn't hear it, but I could see it, you know, changing. Wow. I don't I mean, I don't know how to So how to
1: yeah you You Describe said it better no I mean that's that that actually really that really clears up the imagery in my head uh, as far as what you were seeing now, you said when it came in through the window, you saw the one hand and then the other, uh, and then it pulls itself up, and you said the fingers were abnormally long now, when you say abnormally long, I think of a, a the, when i when I try picturing the whole body, I'm thinking of something that is just awkwardly long with its limbs and very thin. Is that what you saw? Was yes, it something very exactly. thin and
2: very thin? And like I said when it reached over I could see its fingers and I could see a good length of its wrist and then what looked like, like a you know a cuff or a, you know like a uniform jacket sleeve or whatever you want to call it. But yeah, very like I said it was you asked how tall it was and you know if it was humanoid shape, yeah, two legs, two arms, but elongated not like I said, I, the movie that I that I saw something similar to had really long like, you know, like it, it was a quadruped, you know, in the movie that I watched this creature. But the way it looked as far as the sleek skin and uh, no, no facial features and stretched. I mean, you could see like when the hands come over, you could see the tendons between the fingers as it's, you know, but the fingers were. I mean, no fingernails that I could see because it was dark, but the color, you know, it looked pale, grayish, whitish colored, maybe a yellowish colored type of, you know, the, the skin as you know, and a darker uniform, but, uh, but no, no hat. That was another thing that the soldier that I saw, he always wore his hat. This thing didn't have a hat. All I saw was, like I said, it looked like a hockey mask. Like if Silver Surfer wore a hockey mask and just had black eyes, that's kind of what the face looked like. It was real, you know, I mean, you might say a gray, but I'm not saying it was a gray. It wasn't, you know what I mean? It might look similar to a gray, but it looked like a helmet. I mean, it looked like a mask or, a, you know, it looked non-organic, the face. It looked slick, you know. So it looked, I, I like, some, it
1: looked like something it was added to its face, not part of its face.
2: Right. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. No, no. you talking about. No, it's it did. It looked like. I mean, it had a chin. It, it had the stretching here, you know, it had. I mean, it looked like a mask, but I don't. I can't tell whether it looked non-organic, but I, I can't say whether or not it was because you could see it. But maybe it's just the color. I don't know. I mean, the color of its skin and the color of its face were the same color, but it could have been the reflection in my room. It could have been, you know, all I remember, I don't know what I had, if I had a nightlight or anything, I can't say exactly what color it was, but I remember the the color that I remember seeing when I had the experience was that, like I said, that white, whitish, yellowish color, but it looked slick. There was no features per se, like no nose, no ears. It was just, and no mouth. Saw no mouth
0: wow. until
2: it became these other creatures, but the the mouth I was I can't even tell you what the mouth looked like because the eyes were so the eyes were oh man they just I can't I can't explain what it makes me feel like <laughs> yeah it's almost like if you swallow a, a spoonful of gasoline or something you know that just that ugh oh, that just that sick I have a sick feeling from the eyes man the eyes were whew, creepy I
1: can, I can understand creepy. that yeah because yeah, I mean when you're describing this, and I'm glad you're talking about the color because the in my in my mind, the first thing I think of is a completely black figure, but that's not what you saw. you didn't see no. something that was completely black, which is no, is not very interesting uh and so I guess my last question that I have in my mind right now and, and I still don't have the greatest um picture in my mind as to what the face looked like, but that's because you're, you're having a hard time to, it, describing what you saw in itself. But, but the fact that it doesn't have a mouth, doesn't have a nose, doesn't have eye or ears, um, th- that helps a lot actually. So my last thought on this that I'm thinking of, and, and after you answer this, you can walk us into your next experience if you'd like, uh, is I believe you yelled, your mom comes in, what's wrong? Did you see what happened? Did it climb out the window? Did it disappear? Do no you know what I, happened?
2: It, yeah, when it when it shot out the it shot out the window, like phew. did you ever see the movie? Oh, what's it called? Where the woman's little boy dies on a plane and they try to convince her that her son never existed and the, the uh Yeah,
1: I've seen it. I forget that name of the movie.
2: The unremembered or the unsomething. But this agent or whatever, he came to visit her, and then he hightails it like Hulk. You know how Hulk in the movies just jumps? And that's exactly what it did. It shot right out the window. Right out the window. And that's when I yelled for my mother. And I said, monster. And she said, you just had a bad dream. Go back to sleep. And I knew I was wide awake, and it didn't. But yeah, it just
1: So it left before you
2: yelled for your mom? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. When I yelled, when I said, I see you, it was, it was gone.
1: Wow. So it didn't leave because your mom was coming. It left because it was finished.
2: I, I, I don't know. (laughs) All I know is I was glad, glad to see it go, but I wanted, I wanted my mother, you know? And, you know, I used to have fever dreams and all sorts of stuff when I was a kid, you know, that used to. I, used to, my bro, I shared a bedroom with my older brother. My older brother was a big rock, classic rock and roll guy, man. And I used to have very surreal, crazy dreams when I was sick. And I used to dream. You know, you hear the music of the radio and you dream to the music. And I used to have yeah. really deep, dark, crazy, scary dreams to Led Zeppelin music. I'd hear, uh, oh, what's that one song? Uh, Black Dog? Hey, hey, mama, say the way you move. You yeah. know, when it has that, uh, 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 I can remember having a nightmare to that part. And I mean, it's just...
1: That'll ruin but, good music.
2: Yeah, I know. Well, I love Ze- I love Zeppelin today. I still do. But, uh, but I can remember... I don't know. You know, I've done a lot of studies about the pineal gland and how it calcifies. And, you know, that's your third eye. And that's the thing that... And, you know, you... When you're a kid you see more things because you I think you're 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 less exposed to naysaying and you know that kind of thing and I also think that as you get older and as your you know your pineal gland I think that's how you say it pineal gland as it calcifies you lose contact you you know I used to be able to see auras and all all sorts of stuff up until I was you know 19 or 20 years old and then you know I've had a lot of, a lot of other things that might have contributed to me losing that ability you know but, uh, you know, cause like I said, I had a colorful 20, you know, years in my twenties, the nineties were wow. But, uh, <laughs> I have, a, um, I go into this because I know that what I saw was not a dream. I know that it wasn't a hallucination. I know it wasn't a fever dream because I can remember having those and knowing clearly that I'm dreaming. You know, when you wake up, oh, sweating and feverish and all that was, a, you know, I know I'm having a dream. I didn't have any of that. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't sick. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't, ha- I didn't have any of that, that going. As far as I can remember, I didn't have anything going on like that. You know, who knows? I might have been completely out of my tree, delirious. I, You know, I don't know. But I know that it's a memory that I'll never forget. And it's been with me since then. And I've talked to my folks about it since, you know, but my parents are, like I said, my mother's kind of a realist. She doesn't, you know, I've said this before. She grew up during the depression when, you know, monsters, were hunger and Hitler. You follow? You know, there, you right. didn't have to worry about Bigfoot. You, you know, we had, we had to eat and we have to worry about, you know, socialism or, you know, the Nazi party or whatever. So, you know, I, my parents were always real, you know how you are. I don't, do you have kids, Tony?
1: We have one on the way. We just announced oh, it
2: this yeah, week. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, you will see that as your kids get older, you tell them a lot of stuff. Okay. And a lot of times you say, you know, okay, yeah, yeah, whatever, you know, because they are they just babble, you know. Kids sometimes just babble. Uh Uh-huh, yeah, okay. And, you know, my parents were kind of, we were farmers, you know. We had a lot of work to do, so there wasn't a lot of time for Tell me about your feelings. It wasn't a lot of that, you know. It was (laughs) dry up. Come on, we got to go. We got cows to milk, you know, that kind of thing. So, you know, a lot of that stuff I had to figure out. Like I said, when I had, you know, later on in, you know, when I, when I was 11 and 12 years old and had the, had you know, what the Bigfoot encounter, I had to learn to shut my mouth about stuff just, and it wasn't because there was was a cover up. It was because we don't have time for this, Jason, you know, we got mouths to feed and we got wood to cut. We got, you know, got stuff to do. So, you know, a lot of that stuff I had to, you know, I stuff it and didn't talk about it, you know, because, uh you know, I didn't want to get my butt kicked because I used to get, you know, I'd get whooped. If I didn't do what I was told, I'd get whooped. But, and I'll tell you about that later on. I'm not getting whooped, but I'll tell you a situation that come up about going into the woods that, I mean, I seriously, I mean, I got shook right up by my dad because I did not want to go to the woods. But uh, we can talk about that later on, but.
1: Yeah, absolutely. In fact, anyway, we, we can start walking into that. I just, yeah, let's let's just walk right into that, you know, with the uh, the, the encounter that happened when you were, I believe you said 11 or 12 years old.
2: Yeah. Yeah. The Like I said, we sold the farm and, uh, we bought my pa- mother's parents place and it was a farm as well, but it was, a it was a more of a hobby farm. We didn't have, um, cows to milk or anything like that. We always had heifers and we had a horse or two and, uh, we'd have chickens and geese and I raised rabbits and Guinea pigs and, you know, that kind of thing. And, uh, my, uh, my brother was, is a farmer. He's not anymore, but cause he, he, his knees can't take it anymore. But for many, many years, my brother was a her- herdsman. He worked mostly other dairy farms, but he's always loved farming. He's always loved farm animals. So we always had a dozen cows and we had a real small barn and we had two pastures and we had a tree line that used to separate the pastures. There was a fence line there, but we had a line of trees and they separated the pastures. And the fence line around most of the pasture was just a single strand of electric fence. We didn't have barbed wire. The cows didn't rush it. You know, they rarely got out. It was that kind of thing. And the summer before I had my encounter, we had some things happen around the farm. Uh, We had uh, first thing that started happening was something was harassing our cattle at night and we'd hear them running around and what we call bellering or you know bleeding brr, brr. and we'd get down there with the flashlights and there'd be nothing there and we thought we just assumed it was wild dogs coyotes you know we lived right on the edge our our farm we had 90 acres but 90% of it was wooded area it was all woods and it went forever there's a swamp and I mean it went 3 or 4 miles deep so our pastures would butt up against the the, this wooded area and we started having first I was having uh my guinea pigs and rabbits were coming up missing I had rabbit hutches that had doors on top they had the little latches you know where you lift up the thing slide it over and drop it into the little notch you know and it locks it well those those little uh rods had been busted off the the rabbit hutch so I just made little wooden dowels out of a stick to shove in there because the doors were on top of the hutch so if the rabbit just bumped it with his head he could open it up if i didn't keep it locked well something was taking the stick out of out of the lock and taking my rabbits and my guinea pigs and at first my parents thought it was uh it was the um neighbors messing with me neighbor kids playing tricks on me and but we were finding the animals around the farm we were finding them dead I found one on top of the barn roof just because it smelled so bad. I'm trying to figure out what the rotten smell was. And the way this barn was built, it was a, it was like a lean to type barn. It was a pig barn, but it had at the lower end of the barn, it was probably four or five feet high. And then it would go up to a a height of 10, 11 feet, something like that. And I found the Guinea pig on this roof. Like somebody would have been eating it. The legs had been all chewed off and then it was laid up on top of the barn. And we found them and, trees uh and I was getting upset because I thought that somebody one of the kids in the neighbors was you know one of the neighbors in the neighborhood was uh killing my animals because my parents had said it's probably just the older kids picking on you because I was the youngest one you know at this point on the road and uh and then uh I had a goose come up missing and we found him in a tree six seven feet off the air uh off the ground with the neck torn off and legs torn off breast part chewed up, you know, bloody, you know, and no feathers or or blood under the spot where we found it. It'd been placed there. That was weird. Uh, you know, my parents tried to say maybe it was an owl, you know, but I can't see an owl taking down a big old white goose. They're pretty, they're a pretty brutal bird. You know, they're, they're mean, you know, I don't know if you've ever dealt with geese, but they're mean (laughs) and swans are worse, but, but geese are pretty mean. But, uh, so we had that happen. And like I said, we still had the harassment of the cows and we had a calf. Calf wasn't very old, eight nine weeks old maybe. Calf come up missing, and when we went looking for it, we went I don't know how many feet or yards into the woods, a couple hundred yards into the woods probably. We found the calf, and the head had been twisted right off the body. Legs had been broken. I can't remember if one or two legs had been broken. I think they were both broke, but I remember seeing one of them anyways. And that neck area where the head had been pulled off—you know, the spinal cord was still there. All that, you know, there's a lot of muscle. Even for a young calf, there's a lot of muscle in a cow in that neck. And this thing had just had been—the tw- head had been twisted off. Uh, and there's no canine bite marks or anything like that. You know, there was no nothing been. Usually, what I've learned, and most I'm sure people that know, you know, when when uh, wild dogs or coyotes or wolves or whatever are going after livestock they usually have bite marks on the haunt back legs and the haunches. That's how they break them down. You know, they go after the back legs and there was right. none of that on this, but uh, the most visual memory I have of that, that incident was the neck. I mean, it was just, you could see the tendons and, you know, I mean, it's just gross, man. Just, ooh. but we couldn't justify it. Couldn't figure it out. What, you know, or uh, explain it. So we just went with dogs, you know, must've been the dogs and so, you know, t- again, this is stretched out over a summer, you know. And then one day, something again was going after the cows and the cows got out. They finally busted through the fence and a few of them wandered off. There's four or five of them. I don't remember how many. I'm sure it's four or five. So my brother and two of his buddies and myself and two of my friends, we grab a couple of halters and some lead ropes and we use bailing twine, you know, off a, off a, uh, hay bales we take a big wad of those and we'd go down and we went down the woods looking for the cows well as we found them we'd put a rope or a, a halter around the cow that we found and two of us would run it up to the back up to the barn because the woods went down into a hill so we'd have to run them back up to the barn and we found all the cows but one and my brother and his friend decide they're going to go to a different area to look maybe they went this way so they went off and while they were off looking in that area we actually found the cow over in another area so two of the guys that were waiting walked him up and i was it was me and either one of my friends or one of his friends were waiting and for my brother and his other friend to come back and uh all of a sudden we hear this racket hear him running through the woods and we could see him running through the woods. And my nickname growing up was Charlie. My brother said that when I was little, I looked like Charlie Brown because I had real light blonde hair. And I kind of looked bald, you know. So he's called me Charlie since I was little. And my brother says in a voice, uh, you know, loud and direct, Charlie, run. So I hop up. We all hop up and we haul tail up to the barn. We all get there and we're, you know, winded from running. And, and they start asking, you know. They asked my brother, they called him Weaver. Weaver, what's, what are you running from? And he said that we saw, this is how he explained it we saw big monkey people and one of them chased us. And immediately, you know, here comes the laughter. Ah, ah, Jack thinks he saw Bigfoot, you know, that kind of thing. And, but my brother wasn't laughing. And I'll never forget the look on his face. It was kind of like he just pooped his pants and didn't want anybody else to know it. He had that kind of look on his face, you know, and, He doesn't talk about it to this day. All I have to do is say monkey people, and he don't want to talk about it. Uh, And I've talked to his kids about it. He's got two boys. They're old and older and grown and have kids of their own now. And um, so, but uh, we've going to fast forward to the next summer. So that was 1981. We're into now, 81. And it's blackberry picking season. I don't know if you call them in Pennsylvania, we call them, or in Pennsylvania, I don't know what you call them, but in northern New York, we call them black caps. Okay. We call them black caps in Pennsylvania? I've never heard of black caps before. Well, we call them black caps because they look like little caps, you know. Sure. And we used to, we had a big, big, huge thicket of them down in the woods off of this meadow. We used to harvest wood at one end of the meadow, and we had the berry patch at the other end. And there's a big, huge berry thicket, and there's also a raspberry thicket over there. And it was berry picking time. And my cousin was with me, and my cousin, he's actually my step-cousin, his mother married my mother's brother, if you can figure that out, and we became friends. His parents moved to the road, because it's was mostly family at this point that lived on on the road that I grew up on, and uh, he and I decided to go berry-picking, and he was a couple years younger than me, so he's probably eight or nine at the time, and so we get down to the patch and we'd normally we'd come down the tractor road and catch the trail to the berry patch. Well, but we were at his house. So we took the back, we went the back way. And this is, this is, uh, poignant because I think that's why we had what happened happen because we didn't come the main drag, uh, looking back on it, you know, and retrospectively, I think that that's why it happened. It just happened to be the perfect way to—we just walked into this meadow through the woods. We had a there's a couple of power poles that we ran our our well was down there, so we ran in order to run the breaker to run the pump. We had poles and we had a single line of of electrical wire running on these poles. So there's a little you know a causeway or a little throughway there, you know, a trail. So we'd cut down through the to the meadow that way, and the way this berry patch was growing as you know you know berry thickets will jet out and then they grow back in and then they come back you know they cove in and you know that kind of thing and and i was picking on one pat, part of the patch that was jetted out and then it caved in like this and then my cousin was picking over here and we're having a berry picking contest where who could fill their we had the butter bowls you know the parquet butter bowls you know yeah. so who could fill the their butter bowl the fastest? And. I always make this point because if you've ever gone blackberry picking as a kid, you know, that when you're picking berries, usually one hits the bowl and two hit the mouth, you know, so we're having fun eating and picking and, and, it, you know, we're, we're hanging out and, you know, it's a beautiful day and summer and, and my cousin goes into kind of a meltdown and he was, like I said, he was kind of a weird kid then he wore, you know, uh, real thick glasses and he was kind of a, you know, kind of a goofy looking kid he starts going into this meltdown. Like I want to go home. 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 And he was, you know, whimpering like that. And finally after doing that, I'm like, what's wrong? You know, that kind of thing asking what's going on. And finally he drops his bowl and he jets out of there and he runs behind me. He was picking to my left and he runs behind me and catches the trail to the tractor road and up the road he goes. And I'm like, "Ha! more berries for me, you know? So I get the picking, you know, I'm going to get, I'm going to win this contest. What a baby, you know, and I'm just picking and picking along and eating and, and working my way. And, and I hear a whistle to my right, which is the area that Jerry had run. And it went <whistles> real loud, but it was, you know, about like that. And I turn and I'm looking and there's nobody there, but I'm like, knock it off, Jerry quit trying to scare me or whatever. I know it's you, you know, whatever I might've said, something like that. And I go back to picking the berries and I'm working around this cove. And you know, when you're picking berries, you ever blackberry picked?
1: when I was you're, a kid. Yeah.
2: Okay. You know, when you're picking them, you don't even have to look to know they're ripe. You know, when you, all you have to do is tug on them. And if they're ripe, they fall into your hand. You know? right so off. when you're picking, you're usually looking for the next cluster to go after. Well, that's what I was doing. And I hear this whistle again, and as I'm turning, I'm reaching into the thicket, and as I'm turning to look at this whistle again, I hear, I heard the whistle, and I reach my hand into this bush, and I touch hair, okay? And I always, when I tell this story, I always say I've touched everything in a berry berry thicket. I've touched snakes, sunning, and I've touched bird nests. I've touched birds. You know, I've touched some wild stuff, but I'd never touched hair before. So as soon as I touched it, I immediately pull my hand back and I look and I see this figure. And I step back and I'm probably eight to 10 feet back from this bush. And I'm looking at this bush and I can see its thigh and its calf where its thigh and its calf come together. It was squatting with its arms between its legs. I could see its massive uh, tricep, see its shoulder, see the back of its head, and every time I'm turn, you know, I'm trying to see what it is I'm looking at, and I can't fathom what it is I'm seeing, and I can't see its face, and every time I adjust, it would adjust like it kept putting its head into the thicket, and I look down, Tony, and I see its little toe. See, his three toes on his right foot, His three outside toes on his right foot. And I realized that they look like people toes, you know. And when I saw these toes and realized what I was looking at, my body immediately shut down and I felt all the, all the wind leave my body. And I couldn't, I couldn't breathe. I wet my pants. And I couldn't move because I know I'm seeing a, a monster and it's black, dark black, cold gray colored, you know, and it wasn't bulky, but it was cut, man. And I finally, my fight or flight mechanism kicked in and I dropped my bowl and I ran like my cousin and ran back up the hill and, uh, told my parents i saw a monster saw a monster and i don't know what jerry told his parents you know because i went straight to my house he lived two doors down from me and um my mother was like you probably saw a dog it's probably a deer you know and no no mom no no and i knew what i i know what i saw you know i'm 11 years old and i'm i'm smart kid I'm artistic, I can draw, I can draw animals, I can draw, I know what it's like to draw perspective, I know what it's like to foreshorten, and, you know, and, because I used to copy out of comic books. I knew a lot about anatomy, you know, by drawing pictures out of comic books, and I saw a massive thing, and after that happened, I started to have nightmares every night. And the nightmare would always start out the same way. I'm trying to get to my grandmother's house, who lived right next door. And there's a little cluster of trees and a little hill between our house and my grandmother's house. And there's a Bigfoot in those woods. And it would come out of those woods. And, Tony, it wasn't the Bigfoot that I saw in my thicket, okay? It wasn't – that Bigfoot didn't want anything to do with me. But this Bigfoot in my dreams wants to eat me, you know? It's got massive teeth and, you know, they're bloody. and this is what I see when I have my dreams, you know, so I would have them regularly and all through high school. Shut, shut up about it. I no longer went squirrel hunting. I no longer tracked rabbits. I no longer did none of that, you know, so I get through. High- my father died a year later after this. My father died. Uh, in June of 82, I, it was the last day of school. As a matter of fact, that my dad died and, um, I had to grow up. So I had to stuff a lot of it. I couldn't talk about it anymore. When I did talk about it, usually the people that I would talk to about make fun of you. And I had a family, there was a family that used to ride a school bus. There's a big family, a lot of kids, four or five kids. And One of the, one of the kids was a year behind me in school. She was a, she was a year uh, younger than me. And they used to talk about critter. That's what they called them. They had one living behind their house and they used to feed it and they called it critter. I said, and it's a Bigfoot. And you may think we're nuts, but it lives behind our house. And I could talk to them about it. And today I can still talk to, to her about it. We're friends. We, we don't talk much, but we talk on Facebook and she she's uh she's aware that I've come, you know, come clean with what happened, you know. But uh, the nightmares ha- haunted me. I went on to college. I graduated from from uh, high school in 87. Started college in 87. And, you know, you start drinking and partying in college. And and, you know, that became kind of my coping. I cope with it. It wasn't just the way I coped with that, but it was the way I coped with anything that affected me emotionally, uh, death, uh, breakups. You know, I had a, uh, dated a girl in college, and uh, her last semester in college, she was older than me. In her last semester in college, she wanted to uh, be single. So it wasn't breaking up because I don't care about you anymore. It wasn't breaking up because we can't be friends. It was I want to be free my senior year, senior year, last semester in college to do whatever. And, you know, I totally respect that today. But then I, I was livid. You know, I couldn't handle it. So I got ugly and I made sure that that girl was glad that we weren't together anymore. You, you know what I mean? And, you know, this is a way that I handled things. And, you know, as I had said to you before, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and blame my experiences for every bad thing that ever happened in my life because it's not. It's not true, but my way of dealing with things on an emotional level, I I learned a uh, that's that's how I learned to uh, stuff stuff, you know, and uh, if I didn't feel it, and I didn't remember it, maybe it didn't happen, you know, that kind of thing. And but you know, with this, once you see something, you can't unsee it, you know. It, you can't. I can't. You know. I I see so many people on Facebook. These bigfoot groups to say, oh, I just want to find one. Oh, I can't wait to see one. And I and I just shake my head. I, I don't say anything. I just know that in retrospect, what I saw, that experience, I know was a gift. I know that now, you know. But um, it's, it messed me up, man. It messed me up. And you know, you, I told people that the same the same encounter as i've told you i've told the same story and they say you were traumatized by that what you know just and i'm like you don't get it man you know i heard like i said earlier i heard uh someone say when they saw their bigfoot they said that they watched a creature leap off the pages of fairy tale books and, and myths and land in their right in their front yard basically that's kind of what happened to me. Like I said earlier, you know, I realized that King Kong is real, you know. And uh wow, you know, you talk about messing up a kid. I mean, it did. It was too much for an 11-year-old's psyche to grasp completely, you know. I would love to go back now and and you know, had the if I could have the same opportunity at 47, who knows, you know. But uh but you know, like I said, it, it I didn't used to feel this way. I used to think that what happened to me was a was a damn curse that, you know, it it was it's the root of my demise, you know, so to speak, my downfall. I won't say demise because I'm still here, but it was the root of my downfall. But, it, you know, like I said, it's not the not it per se, but the how I had to deal with it became a you know, that's the factor. It became a easy way to like a like a old comfy sweater it's easy just to stuff it and, you know, I just put it on like an old comfy sweater and people would say, you know, I adjust my whole life when people would say, hey, Jason, I love to fish. I fish. If I know I can see all around me, I'll go fishing, you know, and somebody would say, hey, Jason, we're going fishing after work. You want to go? And I'll be like, sure. Where are you going? And they'd say, oh, you know, if they said, oh, we're going to dock fish over here or my buddy's got a boat. We're going to go over here. You know, great. But if they said, oh, we're going to walk up the stream and fish. it back down in the Cherokee National Forest. Nope. I'd say, oh man, you know, I just remembered my wife and I got to do something. I can't, I always, but that's how my life was when I was telling you, I would compartmentalize stuff. I would, I lived my life in constant. How can I, how can I navigate around telling somebody that I saw a monster? You know, how do I navigate around that? Because, you know, especially when it comes up to something, you know, like Hey, we're having a family reunion at so-and-so park and we're going to, oh great, man. That's, that sounds like a lot of fun. I think I'll stay home, you know, that because there's no way now I do. Now I go in the woods. Now we hike and I go camping and I solo camp now, you know, but, but, um, it took a long time to get there, my friend, you know, 2000 from, you know, 1981 it. to 2009 is a lot of years. And, you know but now i have you know i have family members that want to talk to me about it which seems good and i have other family members where that i was real real leery of telling them but i had to say i don't know if you saw this tony but last year i did a thing i went to the ohio bigfoot conference last year and i and i wanted to go You know, you know how it is at the conference. Everybody's got their own little deal. You know, they got their selling their books over here or their art or whatever. Well, I didn't want to do that. So what I did is I did a decal drive. I don't know if you saw the Bigfoot Yeti yin yang decals at, at the Ohio Bigfoot conference. Yeah, I
1: think I I remember that last year. Well,
2: I, I made a whole, I designed that decal and I made 60 of them and I said, and I sold them on Facebook. And I did a help a hippie get to the Ohio Bigfoot Conference drive is what I did. <laughs> Buy a decal. Well, I, I've sold a ton of those. OK, but I've got one on my window. I'm still selling them. In fact, I have to take up some up to the Expedition Bigfoot Museum tomorrow. I'm going up there tomorrow to drop off a pile. But because uh, they sell them in the gift shop up there. But, um, you know, just at that decal getting me to the Ohio Bigfoot Conference, I was going to tell you about. The, the synchronicity and how my life has fallen into the into place for this thing years ago as I said in order to deal with this bigfoot thing I didn't know anybody else other than the family on the school bus that had any idea or had any inclination or any belief in what I was trying to talk about so I reached out believe it or not I didn't know that Bob Gimlin and Robert W Morgan were two totally different people okay <laughs> i had i had seen a show or watched a movie with Robert W Morgan and in it i think the Patterson Gimlin film was was featured and i got Robert Morgan and Robert Gimlin mixed up okay Well, I wrote a letter to Robert W. Morgan when I was like 14 or 15 years old. I found an address in the movie of the production company that made the movie, and I wrote this letter. Well, you know, time flies. Here we go. Blah, blah, blah. I go to the Ohio Bigfoot Conference last year, and I don't know if you remember Saturday. Remember we got last year. It got heavy rains. Okay. It was wicked rain, cold rain, wind. Well, Robert W. Morgan was there, and I didn't know it, but he – he was outside to do book signings. We're under a little canopy out there. And I was walking by and I saw his audio tapes and his books. And I said, Robert W. Morgan's here. And the lady was sitting at the desk. Is like, yeah, he's up there in the lobby talking to somebody else up there. So I ran right up and I told him, Hey, I'm like, do you remember? I sent a letter to you years ago, blah, blah, blah. But of all people to run into in the lobby, I ran into Robert W. Morgan, the same guy that I'd reached out to when I was a kid. I just thought, That is so, you know, here's the full circle coming back around again, you know, really cool. and then to meet, you know, Bob Gimlin, I've got become good friends with Bob. He came to Georgia last year and camped with us, uh, in October this past October for, you know, he, he doesn't do much camping anymore. He ended up staying, I think in a cabin nearby, but, uh, he didn't sleep on the ground with the rest of us, but, uh, but he did hang out with us all weekend and all night, you know, around the fire. And it's just interesting when I, as I mentioned to you prior to uh, starting the interview, how my life has fallen into place as a result of getting, getting right and saying, Hey, look, I may look like a dude with three eyes, but I, I have seen Bigfoot. I've seen them. They're real. You know, Uh, they are not a, a figment, you know, they're, and they're alive and well and thriving. People say, well, how does Bigfoot get from one side of the country to the other thinking it's one creature? You know, that bothers me tremendously. Okay. And another thing that bothers me is when somebody watches the Patterson Gimlin film and refer to the Bigfoot as a he, that kind of bothers me, too, a little bit. But uh, but, you know, they they, uh, like I said earlier, you can't unsee these things. And but I learned that I can't walk around with my head in the sand anymore. I got to talk about it. And, you know, you can accept this of me. You like everything else about me. I'm just saying, you know, I'm talking to, like if I'm talking to a friend. Hey, you like everything else about me, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you something. You might not like me after this, or you might like me more. But here's what happened. And you know, my girlfriend might tell you that I tell everybody that I want. If somebody mentions Bigfoot, I'm going to talk about it. You know, of course I, I don't talk to everybody, but you know, if somebody talks about it, you know, I get questions. I have a decal on my. I have a couple of Bigfoot decals on the back of my car, and every once in a while. It's bound to draw up conversation. Hey, what's this? What do you got this on your car for? And, and I tell them, you know, but, uh, uh, it's done me a lot of good. It's been very therapeutic as far as speaking about it to people, uh, and, and just getting it out there to let, just for me, you know, it's, I equate everything to recovery. You know, like I told you in my twenties, I was, a, you know, I was, a. am a recovery. I'm in recovery. So, I was a quite the indulger in in the twenties. Anything I tried twice and liked, pretty much, I was I was into, and uh, so you know my twenties were were, let's just say they're colorful. In my forties, I I still say that, but I take everything I learned about recovery and I apply it to the Bigfoot world too. as I I realize that, like I said before, secrets keep you sick. If I if I don't talk about it. I can't get it off my chest. And what I have found is that the best thing you can do is talk about it, get it out of your head, get the crap out of your head so you can make room for more crap. You know what I mean? I have to, and that's kind of how I look at, I have a select few friends that they are my recovery group. And I know that I, when I go camping with them or if we, you know, we chat, you know, via comments on a post on one of the groups or whatever, I know that I can be myself and I don't have to worry about, you know, putting up a front or pretending that I'm somebody I'm not. I don't have to worry about that anymore. Yeah. That's a big, that's a tremendous, that's a tremendous weight off your shoulders. You know, being in recovery, I've been able to apply that to my recovery principles to a lot of different things in my life. But what I realized, as I said earlier, my encounter was a gift. And if I can talk about it and share it with somebody and inject the light and try to help help somebody, even if it's a, hey, man, you know, some empathy. Hey, I relate to what you said. I, you know, I went through the same thing. I, that's the reason why I do these interviews and, you know, share this stuff. And it isn't because I want to talk about my story again because I know it. You know, I've 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 told a lot more people here in the last eight or nine years than I did my whole life, but I've talked about it a lot. But the main thing is, is I want to get it out there because I don't want anybody to do what I did stuffing and, and suffering, you know, because it's, uh, it's not a, to live a secret life. You can't be true to yourself, man. And, right. you know, we talked about it, you know, I'm on a, I'm on a spiritual journey as well. Uh, And, you know, that's what I try to hold on to is I try to trust God, clean house and help others every day. And both in the recovery world and in the Bigfoot world is I have to trust that not everything that comes out of somebody's mouth is the truth. You know, not everything you read on the Internet is true. Uh, You know, and I have to uh, um, clean house, meaning I can't take in those those negative thoughts. You know, I can't get caught up in the hype. I can't get caught up in the science versus woo, the, you know, that I can't get caught up with that and I got to help others. You know, there's a lot of people that I have met and I'm sure doing, I don't know how many interviews you've done so far, but the people that you've talked to regarding Bigfoot or Sasquatch, I'm sure you've talked to a lot of them that have been affected adversely as a result of it. Right. And, you know, I've been able to help others that have been in my same shoes because, you know, we're all crazy, Tony. We're just Lucky we're not all crazy on the same day, brother. You know, same kind of Yeah. So I have to, you know, I, I it's a fellowship of sorts where I have to, you know, I feel. Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm. It's a not a. It's I'm not an obsessive about it, but if I know somebody's struggling with it with this, because it will leave a, it does leave a scar on you when you. I mean, you like I said, unseeing is that's easy. Close your eyes, but. It's still there when you close your eyes, you know, and it's inside of you and, uh, it's something you can't shake, you know, you yeah. can't, it's, uh, it's always with you. So I try, if I can help somebody deal, Hey, I'm all about it. Right. Cause it helps me. I keep what I have by giving it away. You know what I mean? I
1: hear you. So you let know? me, let me ask you back to your encounter. Um, there's two things that I am curious about. Uh, the first thing i I guess I'll ask is, did you ever go back to your brother and tell him that you saw it too? And what did he say?
2: Yeah, um, I went back up there. Oh, I'm trying to think of what year it was. 2003, 2002, 2003. It was after 9-11. I know that. Uh, I went up there and I had talked about a little bit about what my brother had happened, you know, with the we saw monkey people to so my wife. we she's my ex now, but and my ex mentioned it to my to my brother. So I hear you saw Bigfoot. And my brother kind of looked at her and looked at me and he said, I guess he Charlie told you about that. I said she said yeah. And he was very upset with me. And I actually in this interview I used his name. And I don't usually use his name. I usually use a, a, a something else, a different name, you know, but I don't know. It doesn't matter now, but, uh, my brother, he don't talk about it. My brother is, a. he's not a talker, man. He's a, you know, he's got his own demons. He spends a lot of time with them, you know? So he don't, and there's a reason for that too. I don't know what it is exactly, but, uh, but I've talked with his kids about it. I went up there in 2012 and his, he was living with his girlfriend at the time. My brother was, and he had rented it Uh, his house to his son and uh well they're they have a they're still together but his son and his girlfriend and she was pregnant at the time and uh sitting at the kitchen table drinking coffee with him and I said hey did your dad ever mention um monkey people and and my nephew says yeah he talked used to tell us about it when we were kids I said what did he tell you and he said just uh there's certain parts of the woods he didn't want us going into because he Said he couldn't guarantee whether or not we could stay safe or not. That's about all he would say. Things over there are dangerous. I don't want you in there, that kind of thing. And so then he starts to talk about it a little bit more, my nephew. And he tells me that he, one deer season, he had a deer out in the tree draining it. And um, something lifted it off the hook and carried it off. Didn't drag it off. They carried it off. And then he had a 50, brand new 50-pound bag of dog food that he just picked up at the co-op. Gone taken right off he set it out there one day he went out the next day to feed the dogs the bag is gone and he thought his neighbors were stealing from him and I said uh anything else he says that he had d- several dogs at the time the dogs would stay on the edge of the yard because my brother's house is right probably 200 yards from where I had my encounter it's not far at all okay. and uh but his yard would butts up against the woods and he said the dogs they go in the woods during the daytime but at night all they do is They pace the edge of the yard and they just bark and bark and bark and bark. And then so, you know, we went down to the woods. I went down to the spot where I had my encounter for the first time in 2012 since it happened. And the wooded area has taken over the meadow. Wood's not harvested out of there anymore, so the meadow's a lot smaller than it used to be. Um, I'll even I have a shot of the area via Google Maps, a screenshot of it. Well, I'll show you exactly where my brother's house is and where the encounter is. But you can still see the meadow. It's just a little dinky thing now. But there's a, still the tractor rows there and and there's a spring. Like I said, we had our well house down there. Well, they don't get their water from there now. I think they have city pipes or what, county pipes or whatever now. So uh, they don't get their water from the well anymore. But we found what looked like. A kid's barefoot footprint in the mud surrounding the spring. And I asked my nephew, any kids down here? He said, there's not been kids down here since you were a kid, probably, you know, that kind of thing. Meaning, no, kids don't go down there. But we found a print full, you know, toes, everything. And I have a picture of it somewhere. I took a picture of it. But my sons were with me, too. I had both my oldest boy and my youngest boy at the time my oldest boy was 16 or 17 at the time. And my youngest was five or six. But, um, that was interesting to have them with me, you know, but, uh, but back to your question, I know I got off the, off the track a little bit. My, my brother doesn't talk about it. No, I got you. And, uh, and I don't, he let me know pretty much 10 years ago or however long it was. Don't talk about it around him anymore. You know, that kind of thing. But at least I had some validation from his sons, you know, that, He knows, you know, he mentioned it since, you know, it happened way back when, you know, but, and the, the woods are still there. Another thing that happened is a few months after my nephew and I had had that discussion about the deer and the dog food, he sends me this picture where my brother had a sidewalk built. And then he had these little cedar trees lining the sidewalk on each side and something had dragged another tree out of the woods, tied it to one cedar tree. Tied the root ball to the other cedar tree across the sidewalk, like a gate almost, you know, or a fence. And my nephew took a picture of it and said, hey, do they do stuff like this? And I'm like, well, they've been known to, you know, they do stuff with trees all the time. He's like, what are they trying to say? And I said, "Um, I don't know. What have you been doing? And he's like, what do you mean? I said, you know, they live in the country. They like to sit off the back porch and shoot guns and that kind of thing. I said, you've been doing any shooting? And he said that he had gotten some new turkey loads or something. And he had been trying some turkey loads a day or so before I said, well, that's probably the problem. I said, don't shoot down in the woods anymore. You know? So that was the advice I gave him. And I don't know, you know, but they ended up his girlfriend that she had to move. She, she told him we got to get out of here. She feels like something's always looking at her in the window and you know, she was pregnant and she was having uh, a little difficulty with her pregnancy. So they didn't want to, you know, stress her much, you know, regarding, you know, stress her anymore. So they moved, but they were, they were kind of freaked out. Now, that was, like I said, that was 2012. So that's the most recent activity that's gone on, as far as I know, okay, on that property. But they're, I think there's still, if you could see this area, and like I said, I'll send you the screenshot of the area, the wooded area, dude. It's a, it's like a Bigfoot paradise, man. It's all you could ever want down there, you know, plenty of yeah. cover. No traffic at all, other than like deer season. You know, there's some hunters, the people, uh, somebody bought the property years ago and they turned it into a, basically a hunting camp is what that property is. It's posted. You can't go down there. My brother still goes down there every once in a while and checks on things that he has around and about in different areas, but, uh, he don't, you know, he don't get on the property much cause it's posted, but, uh, but it's, um, you know, like I said, there's still... If you saw this area, you'd be like, it, it makes complete sense because it's, I mean, it's covered in nothing but woods and water and animals and, I mean, it's a it's mecca, buddy. I mean, yeah. it's, there
1: there's a lot there's a lot of areas in this country that are quote unquote what you said, Bigfoot paradise. I mean, and, and, I, and a lot of people don't quite gather how vast this country is. They like, for instance, when when I'm talking to somebody that's uh, say in I don't know, Oregon or Washington state on the other side of the country. When I say Pennsylvania, a lot of people know about Pittsburgh. A lot of people know about Philadelphia and they, they don't realize that there's a four to four and a half hour drive between the two cities. (laughs) Two of them. It's all woods. (laughs) It's all woods. It's all all mountains and there's nothing there. And, and so, I mean, I just think that there's a lot of people that just don't quite grasp how vast this country is and how much habitat there really is. Now, Oh, I know. with with your experience, the the you've did a great job describing what you encountered. Uh the one thing I want to ask you is when you heard the whistling, do you think it was another one there trying to distract you so the the one that you eventually did touch could get away and that just didn't uh, materialize for some reason
2: for that? Yeah, and I've I've really speculated a lot on this, and again, it, it's complete speculation. I always always stress that, but it felt like exactly that this one was trying to get my attention. So this other one, because we snuck up on it and we basically corralled it. It couldn't go anywhere. And as you know, berry thickets are full of briars, and you know, and they grow thick together. You can't just run through them, you know. But I think so. Now, I was interviewed, like I said, we talked about, it. I, when I talked with Will and uh, his co-host at the time on, on that show, they had the idea that maybe it was trying to call others in. Like maybe, you know, they kind of gave me the idea or they kind of speculated that maybe it was, I don't want to say it, but hunting me, you know, maybe. But I didn't get that. I didn't get that jive. First of all, this thing was not aggressive at all. It snorted a couple of times, you know, like you know that kind of thing, but it didn't. It wasn't aggressive. I would love to have the opportunity to do it again, but just thinking about it really spooks me. You know, it's it's a very emotional thing for me. Sure. To to because I I can just sit here and describe it, and it puts me right back to you know eleven eleven years old. But yeah, I think. that's what I think I think that it was trying to distract me so this other one could get out of there somehow and I just happened to be in the perfect place at the perfect time and you know it is what it is I I mean what can I say Uh, I think there's a whole clan down there to be honest with you and I think that you know this one that I ran into I don't think it was an adult I think it, it was big but it wasn't bulky you know there wasn't a lot of girth there you know but um, I've had people ask me, could, did I smell anything? I don't remember smelling anything. And I would remember that, I think. Uh, ask me what it felt like, what the hair felt like. Now, that's a long time ago, but it felt like horse hair to me. It felt like a horse mane is exactly what it felt like. Uh, it was soft. You know, it was soft to the touch, it, which makes me think that maybe it was a younger – because I would think – They just the videos, you know, there's a lot of videos out there, a lot of footage. And, you know, you have to be able to discern what's real and what isn't. But the ones that I see, like the Freeman footage, the way that creatures hair appears in the Freeman footage is similar to what I saw in color. But as far as texture, it didn't look as, I don't know, rough, I guess. You know, sometimes you see them, they look a little gnarly, you know this hair didn't feel gnarly. It felt clean. You know, it felt like a a horse mane, but, uh, but it was, you know, I mean, you tell people that, yeah, right. You know, I mean, a lot of people say they've seen them. I haven't heard many people say that they've touched them. I've heard a few say they've been touched, but not touched them back. You know, that kind of thing. I read a encounter story on, uh, Bobby shorts website. I don't know if you know that one, uh, bigfoot. Mm Encounters.com I think is what it's called and it was a Texas story about a trucker who saw a a juvenile in the middle of the road and he slowed down and he bright lighted and honked his horn and the little one wouldn't move out of the road and then an adult came out and tried to get the little one out of the road and the little one was doing like kids do like I don't want to you can't catch me that kind of thing. And while he was watching this, he looked to his to to his window on his uh left side and there's a female standing there looking right at him and she reached in and touched his beard. He had a big beard. He said it, the way he described it, he kind of looked like Jerry Garcia. Yeah, but a little bit more rounder, you know. By the way, my brother has the same type of beard you got, by the way. Is that He's right? a bearded <laughs> fella too. Yeah. So is my son. My son's got a big beard too. Love But the beard. Uh, but he said that this thing grabbed him on his face and kind of pulled his face to him and gave him a look in his eyes like, "Thank you for not running over my child." That kind of you know he kind of gave that kind of a communication, so to speak. Yeah. He said, and when she pulled her hand back before she got her hand out of the window, he reached up and touched her her palm. He said, and it felt like a baseball glove, or it felt like leather. You know, it felt like a baseball glove. But if you find that story, you know, I love hearing stories like that. You know, I'm I don't think. I don't think they're an animal. Number one, I think there's a whole something else there. Uh, I don't think they're a dumb monkey. Uh, I think there's, um, a soul there and I think there's empathy there. And I think just like humans, there's good ones and there's bad ones. And I think that, you know, according to what part of part of town you go or what part of the country you go, some are more aggressive. Some don't want anything to do with us. I think, uh, that's why they walk away as fast as they do. I think the ones that, aren't intimidated or don't necessarily don't want anything to do with us are the ones I don't want to be around anyways. You know, I think about these, the grassmen or the, not the grassmen, the Janosqua. I think that's how you say it. Janosqua. Janosqua. Yeah. Uh, they sound aggressive, man. And you know, I have friends that are, that are natives. I have uh, I was ad- adopted into the Mohawk nation a few years ago. I have a Mohawk brother who lives on a reservation in Northern New York. And that word is an Iroquois word, Janosqua. I think it means stone giant, I think is what it transfers to or translates to.
1: Okay.
2: But they're aggressive. I heard they've been seen with spears and clubs and, you know, those are weapons. And I don't want to run into those. You know, I, I don't want to really run into any of them, be honest with you. But, uh, I hear
0: that.
2: but it doesn't keep me from looking. You understand? Uh, and, you know, I, coming into Georgia, I've lived in Georgia for four years now. There's an area south of Atlanta that we camp at that is a hotbed, brother. I mean, they're all over that place and I go camping. Holy cow. I go camping. You know, that's a, that's a big thing for me. Uh, camping with a group was how I started out, but now I've gone solo camping with my dog. I always, I always feel safer with my dog. I figure, you know, my tent's not much, not much, you know, safety in my tent, but at least I got my dog, you know, no, I, I gave up the, I'm working on giving up the false false sense of security. I think I might start camping in a hammock maybe because I'm tired of sitting up tents, but there's no safety in tents. You know, you're going to bag lunch if you want to be, or even right. in certain, certain situations, not that you want to be easier but, to carry uh, off. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, but like I said, I've, um, I've learned a lot about these things and the more I learn, the less I know, I'm sure you know exactly what I'm talking about. Just when you think, aha, so that's, that makes sense why that might be the way it is. And then something else pops up and goes, well, but there's this over here. Right. And you know, there are all these factors, like we talked about when you go down that rabbit hole, man, it's not just a single tunnel, man. It branches. Yeah. And there's some of these branches are, are kind of, kind of spooky, kind of creepy, you know?
1: Yeah. When I was, when I, when I first started my group Pennsylvania Sasquatch Research, that's when I really entered into the whole cryptid paranormal the whole community. I was never involved in it online or anything, but I started that group and When I look back at some of the things I posted when I first started, I was very ignorant, and I thought that this was something that could be solved relatively quickly and i I just I was like if i get if I just get the proper people around me. We'll knock this out of the park by the end of the year. You know what I mean? That's right. And so uh, I look back at those things and I was like, wow, I really was ignorant because as time's gone on, it's gotten so much deeper for me. And now I really like, I used to be staunchly uh, flesh and blood, that's it, you know, period as a story. You know, I couldn't fathom anything else. But as I started looking into other things outside of Bigfoot, And I started seeing patterns that relate back to Bigfoot. And I started thinking, okay, well, I'm not saying I'm not flesh and blood, but that makes me say, hmm. And as time's gone on, it's just my my knowledge and other topics has uh, increased to the point now where I think there's a lot of things going on with Bigfoot. And I think that there's a lot of things that correlate with the topic and everybody's got their own views everybody's got their own opinions and i think everybody's clear that i'm open to hearing other people's point of view like that's just who i am and i'm i'm very open to hearing what people think but for me uh i think there's a lot of things going on here that uh we don't have answers to and i think that uh it would behoove us to keep an open mind
2: about the topic absolutely yeah, you know, when I first how I ended up embracing this thing initially was, you know, I I was still in my marriage with with my ex-wife and we were in intense couples therapy where when I mean intense meaning she would go one day of the week, I would go in one day of the week and then we would both go one day of the week every week, you know, it was that kind of deal. And on one of these individual sessions I had with the therapist, I was Coming off the residual, uh, whatever you want to call it, from a nightmare I'd had a, a, a day or two before because they stick with me. You know, when I have those nightmares, I wake up and they're still there that, you know, I still feel them. And uh, so I say to the therapist, I said, hey, look, I, you know, I got to talk to you about something that has absolutely nothing to do with my marriage, you know. So I spilt the beans of what was I was dealing with. And he told me to see if I could find, he said, you'd probably benefit from finding maybe somebody that might have had similar, uh, a similar situation or encounter and talking about it. So for the first time at 40 years old, first time ever, I, I Google Bigfoot. Okay. And that's how I got into this thing. But I was telling you earlier about, about applying recovery principles to the Bigfoot world. And, you know, when I first got into this field, a field, like I'm some kind of researcher, when I first <laughs> got into this field, when I first got into this topic or the subject, um, I was the same way. I was very, man, I want to solve this thing, you know? And it reminded me of a time when I'd first gotten into recovery and I had probably, I don't know, six, seven months into recovery. And I was a very, um, spirited recovering guy. Okay. I mean, I was uh, energetic and always, you know, talking the talk, but not necessarily walking the walk. Okay. And I had a guy that had some, some clean time, as we call it, under his belt, several years. And he looked at me and he says, you know what, Jason, you'll go far in this program. You want to know why? And I said, yeah, why? Because I thought, you know, here's my ego's getting stroked. Exactly. Oh, I'll go far in this program. How come? He says, you'll go far in this program. You know why? And I'm like, why? He says, because you have so far to go, is what he told me. Wow. And that's how I, same thing with the Bigfoot thing, just like with you, you realize that You know, same thing. You'll go far in this because you have have so far to go. And it really is. I mean, you know, I I, it's a play on words, but you understand what I'm what I'm saying with that is Because, you know, when you start, you know, you get focused. When I first got focused on figuring out what it was that I saw and all that kind of stuff, I fell into a bad group. I fell into a group of guys that were pro kill and were were wanting to find out locations where they might possibly be able to bag one. And Hey, you know, do you feel like giving up? Oh, wait, wait, I'm in the wrong type of group. I'm just trying to figure out how to stop the nightmares. You know, I don't want to go hunting one of these things, you know? So I had to back off a little bit and I dropped off the, off the WWW for a while and tried to figure out if I could find somebody locally. And I did. And, you know, that led to other things. And, but, uh, but it's funny how, how we first, get into this thing we talked about it before you know you're, you say everything makes sense oh my gosh they are they exist and oh my gosh and there's this and there is DNA evidence and oh you think poop well we can find poop too you know and, right. man this is a breeze Shoot, it's taken how many hundreds of years to figure this out man I you know what if I had enough money and the right few guys and enough time I'd solve this thing in a year No, I'll get the Nobel Prize you know, that kind of thing. Or not the Nobel Prize or any, you know what I'm saying. I'll get some kind of recognition. Sure. But um, no, no, it's uh got a lot of, there's a lot of factors. Yeah. And there's a lot of factories working against you. And you know what I mean by factories? I'm talking sure. about disinformation and, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. But
1: wow. Yeah, man. That's, that's, yeah, that's exactly my thoughts on it, man. So, well, Jason, listen, uh, before we get out of here. Do you have any parting words as to, uh, you know, people who might be looking into this topic? uh, I have a lot of people that listen to this show that aren't necessarily Bigfoot people, but they hear about the Bigfoot stories just like they hear about paranormal stories on my show. People who are getting intrigued by the topic by listening to people like you on my show, what would you say to them? The
2: newbies. Well you know there's a lot of stuff i kind of it's kind of like uh oh you still there
1: i lost you on video but i still okay, hear you okay hold on
2: there you go all right there you are um there's a book that came out a while back and i actually saved the quote because i i'm not too bright on remembering words but there's a book that came out a while a few years ago that Autumn Williams wrote called Enoch. You remember the story of Mike and his friend Enoch? You've been friends with him, you know, in Florida for years, you know, the Bigfoot. I'm best friends with the Bigfoot. But, you know, some some give that book credibility. Some don't. I'm a big fan of that book, especially in the back of it. There's a whole Bigfoot one-on-one, really. There's a lot of information in the back of that book if you really want to do that. But there's a quote from it, Tony, and I have it right up here. I'm going to read to you what it is, and then I'll tell you what I have to say. It says, it is our lack of understanding of what is possible that has caused us to spend so many years chasing our tails. Now, I say that because, you know, I have friends in the science, science corner, and I have friends in the woo corner, and I respect and love them both equally, you know. But, you know, in this year, I don't know if you've heard this thing about, <clears throat> about, uh, um, a united Bigfoot community, you know, it's, this has been the, been the motto or the, or the mantra for the Ohio Bigfoot conference. I got my t-shirt and sticker the other day and I love that idea. I think if the science guys could drop their guard a little bit and say, you know what, I'm going to give this a listen. I mean, you know, not everything I believe How do I want to say this? Not everything that scientists have told me, number one, is the truth. Number one. okay. And I can't believe it all, you know. But what I'm trying to say is if we could all get on the same page and put all of our resources together, we would no longer be walking in circles. You know, we'd all be walking in the same area and have a little respect for each other. You know, I see so much. Like I said, I see so much bashing of people that say they have. Bigfoot teachers that come and visit them and, you know, whatever, you know what? That's your reality, man. As long as it works for you and it doesn't make you a bad person, you know, hey, I'm all about it. Uh, I can't say that it's not true because I don't know. I don't live in that situation. I don't live in their shoes. but, But what I know is that, you know, by attacking each other, science versus woo or woo versus science or whatever we're all, you're, you're negating everything. You're negating research. You're negating, you know, there's so, so much, look at how much stuff we learned from native American legends, which, you know, years ago were fairy tales and myths. You know, they were stories that, that, you know, been passed on from generation to generation. But well, now we're finding out that there's a lot of truth in these stories. You know, there's a lot of truth in the woo. There's a lot of, tr- and there's a lot of woo in the world. And I don't believe in, it's, I use the word paranormal, but it's, I, I don't believe in that world, that word really, especially when it comes to our world. Cause it's our world, man. I think it's all normal. It's just, it's a, it's just a, um, it's just a matter of perspective. Yes. Does that, does that make sense? Absolutely. So be nice to each other, man. and. and you know, if you believe in science, I'm no longer going to be, or if you believe in the woo-woo, I can no longer be your Bigfoot friend. Well, I, don't, I have a problem with that, you know, because Bigfoot yeah. is a small part of my world. I mean, it, it makes up, it has a huge impact, but it's a very small notion of my world. I don't want to, you know, I want to be your friend, whether you think I'm nuts or not, I still want to be your friend, you know, but, uh, so, you know, if I'm not on the science side of things, you know, don't hate me for it. Don't, you know, because you miss out on the miracle that way. You know what I mean? There could be a miracle there. You could be, you know, you never know and to automatically discount or discredit somebody because they happen to see something different than what you normally see. You know, I I think that that's wrong. So that's what I have to say about that. Tony be united. If we're going to be a united Bigfoot community, then be united. Love thy, love thy neighbor. Be love that. Learn, shut your mouth. And open your ears. You know, that's why God gave you two of them and one mouth. You got to do more listening and talking and, you know, bashing people. That's not the way to do things, you know. Anyway, that's it.
1: So <laughs> your parting words is a message of openness and positivity.
2: And I love it. Openness and positivity. Yeah, I like that. I love that, That man. fits me. Yeah.
1: All right, man. Well, Jason, I really appreciate you coming on tonight and uh, sharing your encounters with us. And uh, I know people are going to love hearing you talk. So thank you very much. Well, I much.
2: appreciate it, man. It was fun. I
1: enjoyed it. Absolutely. Take care, man. All right. You too. Bye. Bye. Well, that's the show, everybody. I really hope you enjoyed it as always. And as a reminder, I just want to remind you once again next week, we're going to be having L.A. Marzulli on talking about Nephilim, his own personal UFO experiences, and other things like that. I hope you guys tune in next week for that show. It's going to be awesome. If you have a story or an encounter you'd like to share with me, please get a hold of me. My email is the confessionals podcast at gmail.com or you can go to the website, theconfessionalspodcast.com, hit the connection section and you can reach me that way as well. Either way works for me. And if you get a chance, go to iTunes, hit subscribe and leave a review. And I just want to let you guys know that Jason really came through for us today. I had another show planned and it got canceled. And instead of me rearranging the rest of my schedule for future shows, he came on last minute recorded with me so we could have an awesome show today. In a way to thank Jason, I want to play one of his original songs that he recorded right here on the confessionals. Jason, thank you so much, and I hope you enjoy hearing your song on the confessionals. Until next week, take care, friends. The
0: sun came up on me today. joined up in 62 Cause I wanted to fight and my friends did too but They both died at Shallow. And me, I'll die here all Yesterday I saw General Lee And his white horse looking down at me Tipped his head and said give him hell And I gave him my best rebel yell Today I'm down in this muddy rut With a Yankee round ball in my gut Got no canteen to quench my thirst I hope this bullet kills me first Well, it hurts too much you take a breath So i close my eyes done And beside the Great Lake, below the rooftops and above the highways, the spirits parent on the basement stay home, and the pages draw pictures of the things that they want. I cook my dinner on the blacktop from the nation outside the train station there's a bold painted sign that says try to be patient don't forget to choose sides we got the loudest explosions you've ever heard we got two dollar soldiers and ten dollar words if I didn't own boots, I wouldn't need feet. Come from the nation. Please. So swift and so vicious are the carnival rides. And the carnival barker will yell your name for a bride. We got billboards for love in Japanese bars it ain't rare to hear the streetlights call themselves stars. Even our coughs and our fevers compete. I come from a nation. Eat. I've seen skeleton mothers and hungry folks. Cross from the kitchen that serves dinner the most. you hear whispers by the dark of the moon that we promised too much and gave it to so the more I
2: Met this one guy years ago, and I can't even think of what his name is. But he wrote one song that uh, John Michael Montgomery had recorded, and he made enough money off that one song to pay his mortgage on his house. Oh man! To pay the rent on his uh, office that he had for a year to buy Uh a uh, a computer or a digital recorder and uh, and something else because this was before you know way before internet and anything like that. You know there was computers, but it wasn't what it is today, and He at that point when he sold his first song, he quit his job and said, I'm a songwriter now. That's what I would like to do, you know, but I'm not motivated enough to sit down and write. You really got to sit down and write. I used to be and I lost a couple of notebooks full of I don't know how many songs. And I kind of got frustrated and and uh, I don't know, I disappointed in myself and I feel like, God, I don't want to do that again. You know what I mean? Yeah. But uh, I got to get, I'm compelled to. So I, you know, I got to, I got to do something. Yeah, man.
1: Like just, man, I I tell you like, all right. So I do this show, right. And I get in, I'm in communication with a lot of people. And one of the things that I commonly hear is people say that, you know, they really enjoy the show and they have this passion to do something and they just never got around to doing it. And they admire that I'm doing what I'm doing. Yeah, man. And I tell people it's not too late. Like it doesn't like, like just uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was talking to a guy. I forget where I was, but he was like in his late 60s and he was telling me some things that he wanted to do. He just never got around to it. And I said, it's now you're you're not in the grave, man we are right, not
2: in the right. grave. Exactly. Like, like Exactly.
1: No better time than the present. And, and you're not past your prime. You're never past your prime. Nope. That's uh, right.
2: Look at, I mean, I'm a big, I'm a huge Johnny Cash fan. I don't know if you yeah, know that, but yeah, I'm yeah. a huge Johnny Cash fan. I could tell.
1: And,
2: yeah. I mean, I'm like, I always say this. I'm like, you know, Jesus is here. Johnny Cash is right about there, but I also always say that you know it, it's not a coincidence that he and Jesus have the same initials. You yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah, I mean I'm kidding with that, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. Uh, but you know I think about Johnny Cash. I mean he was. I mean he wasn't real old, but he recorded clear up till you know two days before he died. Man, you is know. That right. And, uh, and see, that's kind of like this thing I've been doing with this these little live Facebook song videos. It's not that I'm trying to go, hey, look at me. I'm trying to unburied talents. I've, I've, I buried a lot of talents over my, you know, over my years, I've got kind of a, kind of a colorful past. So, you know, a lot of stuff went to the back burner because life on life's terms kind of took over, you Absolutely. know? And I, so I told myself, I made a commitment to myself of several months ago that I'm going to try to learn at least two or three new cover songs a week or write one new song a week. Well, That's I'm awesome. learning a snot out of a lot of, a lot of covers, you know, but I'm not writing much. So, so, but I got to, you know, I got to do something. I got to, you're doing it right. I don't know. You're doing right. it right. Exactly. I,
1: I tell people all the time, like I, when I talk to people, because blogging a real popular thing. I'm not a blogger. I'm not a writer. Uh, my wife, she writes, you know, for a living and you know, I'm not even a big reader. Like I, I, I love, I love what books offer. It's just, I don't have the, I don't have the mind to complete a book. I love starting books, but I don't finish them. I feel um, yeah. But um, I, I tell people that are into the whole literature thing and they're, they're like, I want to start a blog. I tell them the best way to start a blog is to put it on Facebook. Don't worry about making a website that you post these different blogs because then people have to click the link and go to your website. And people yep. are lazy nowadays. Which yep, we, live they in sure a, are. we live in a now society. Everything is immediate. If you don't have it right there in front of them, they're not going to look at it. Yeah, so, you're right. Facebook is the best platform for that, where people with blogs can just write a blog, copy it, paste it in their status feed, post it on their Facebook page, and right there, boom, done. You have it's done all your friends that you would say, "Hey, can you check out this link to my blog?" Now you don't have to say that; you just put it right there in front of them. And it's the yep. same thing you're doing with the, the music. You don't got to right. make a website or go to any other web, third party website to post your music. Put it right on Facebook to the for the people who actually know you to hear and listen to because when because right. if if you if you know if you're trying to pursue a music career or whatever but like like i like i was just saying like if people are good enough if you're good enough at whatever you do and the people that you love and that know you like it they'll share it you know what yep, i mean they sure they're will. more prone to share it than somebody who doesn't know you and so facebook yep, is such right. a great tool and i think it's it's so underutilized like my my facebook page i've turned into the confessionals pretty much I mean, people who I know in, in real life and stuff that aren't into what I do, like, too bad, you know, <laughs> because I, I mean, this is me. Yeah, it's this, this is me. And what, before I started doing all this stuff, I um, I had maybe about 600 friends on Facebook. Well, now that I'm doing all this stuff, I have like almost 1400 friends. Over half my friends on Facebook are into the cryptid stuff, the paranormal stuff. And they're the ones that want to hear this stuff. So. You know, yeah. I, I, I'm basically tailoring my Facebook experience for those people because they're the ones that, you know, want to hear what I have to say anyway. So that's right. You know? Yeah.
2: Yeah. And, you know, for if you've got 1400 friends and they share it or you, and they have 10 friends that share it mm-hmm. and they have 10, I mean, and that's these things, especially these things that go viral. I just watched this. I hadn't even heard about it yet before, but I, I don't know if you saw this video that's going around yesterday about this waitress at this restaurant in... Chicago, I think it is called Ed Debevics or something. It's kind of like a dick Last resort where, you know, all the wait staff insult you and, you okay. know, you go in there. It's one of those, you know, you, you be prepared to be insulted if you're going to dick's, you know, gotcha. it's that kind of thing. Well, that's that kind of restaurant. And this girl, she's an actress, but she's worked as a waitress at this place for 11 years. Well, she went viral and now she's getting you know, roles. They're talking about ma- developing a, a cartoon solely based around her waitress, you know, really? it's pretty, pretty amazing. Yeah. You just never know. You never know who's listening. Yeah. And you know, this is what I had a friend in sales tell me a long time ago that everybody you need to know is just, or everybody, how do you, how do you say this? Anybody you need to know is just two phone calls away from somebody you already know. Mm-hmm. You just got to figure out what the network is, you know, and it's so true. And, and life, I mean, life is funny, man. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, you, it is especially, you know, I'll talk about this during the interview, but you know, I struggled a lot of years, Tony, with, with being, just being an, not being a person, but being an adult, you know, I struggled with, uh, drug, drug abuse as, uh, when I was in my twenties, you know, I did a lot of bad things in my twenties that I paid for in my thirties. And now that I'm in my 40s, I've learned that I don't want to do stuff in my 40s that I'm going to have to pay for in my 50s or in my 60s. You follow?